the Formula Spy Podcast. Hello and welcome to another fine edition of the Formula Spy Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Parker, and I'm joined by a duo of our awesome spires. Uh, the first is Carlo's only resident bird spotter. It's Thomas Marr. And the, the second, and by no means least, is Luke Murphy, the man who described Nigel Mansell as a young Burt Reynolds. So school's out for summer. However, yesterday we were given a massive bombshell and Pierre Gasly has been dropped by Red Bull. And we'll go back to Toro Rosso from Belgium onwards. This brings Alex Albon into race alongside Max Verstappen for the rest of the season. So, Luke, is this the right decision? I think it's fair to say we all seemed fairly convinced he was staying last week. I mean, Pierre himself probably was as well. But equally, it wasn't a total surprise, right? No, I don't think it's a total surprise. I think everybody was expecting, at the very least, the the wheels to be turning in the kind of Red Bull thought process. They, they, would, they would have definitely been considering it. Um, and it, it's it's a little bit... People were a little bit surprised about how during the Hungarian Grand Prix and the races before that, Red Bull were saying they were pretty adamant, you know, Gasly's going to be with us until the end of the season. And and eight days later, there's this announcement that's come out and people were a little bit up in arms about, you know, why the sudden change in opinion. But why, why would they say anything else to the media? Of course, they're going to pretend that everything's all okay and they're going to try and take the pressure off Pierre as much as possible. But at the same time, I don't think we were surprised that they were at least considering it. Um, I think people might have thought that Daniel Kvyat might have got the nod instead of Alex. But Red Bull have been very cautious about this and saying that this is their opportunity to assess their overall roster um, mm. across Red Bull and Toro Rosso for, for the 2020 season. So it's a little bit of an audition process. And they're, they're really just looking to to rebuild for 2020 and focus their assault on there, really. Yeah, I think it seems like now if, if you're a Red Bull driver, you've got this extra pressure to perform. And I sincerely hope, by the way, the team has some kind of like therapy wing because, <laughs> because the amount of stress those guys must be under. Because you're under a lot of stress in F1. But anyway. Absolutely. So it was... <laughs> It was no secret that Gasly was Gasly. Oh God, oh, no. <laughs> that, was, that was a fraudulent slip, wasn't that was, it? Uh, that was borrowed um, from uh, last week's podcast, wasn't it? I'm pretty yes, sure that was. came up. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so it was no secret that Gasly was underperforming. But Thomas, where does this leave his career now? Like looking for looking towards 2020, and what do we? Th- I know Luke sort of touched on it earlier, but what do we think about Kvyat being snubbed? because he's been performing well lately. And, you know, where do Red Bull's options lie in 2020? Well, do you think... I don't think Kvyat has necessarily been snubbed as such yet, because the thing about it is, Kvyat is a known quantity to Red Bull. He raced for them for, what, the best part of, what, 14, 15 months back in 2015 and early 2016. They, they know exactly what he's capable of, and that was a Kvyat who's not as good as he is now. Mm. So they know exactly what they're getting with Daniel. They don't really know what they're getting with Alex Albon. Could Albon be better than Kvyat? They're only going to find out by literally throwing him in the deep end and seeing what we've seen. Max Verstappen, when he was thrown in, rose to the challenge. Red Bull want drivers who can do that. 
Albon, you know, by being thrown in at the deep end now for Spa in just over two weeks' time, he's under so much pressure to perform now. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. He strikes me as the kind of guy who's able to perform under pressure. Um, so he has nine races to impress Red Bull. But I think it's it's basically after coming down to a head-to-head between mm. Kvyat now and Albon for 2020. But the Albon will be in the Red Bull and will be expected to bring it home in the top six and maybe be a little bit closer to Max. Daniel Kvyat, we don't really know exactly what uh, positions and what performances he'll be uh, judged on, but I think it'll literally come down to data in, in this situation. If Kvyat is, is, is extracting the absolute maximum out of that Toro Rosso, then yeah, I can still see him in a Red Bull in 2020. But for Gasly, I don't really know what he can do from here because I think his confidence is shook. He wasn't driving well at all. Uh, he's been crashing. He's been lapped on a couple of occasions by Max in the same car. And just in general, I think he's a confidence driver. And that confidence now is, is however low it was already, it's now plummeted to unheard of depths now as a result of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I, the, the thing is like when Kvyat was demoted back in 2016 Daniel was still driving well he was still roughly you know he wasn't that yeah. far off Dan, Daniel Ricciardo's performances but Gasly has just been completely left in the dirt by Max and if he is now put alongside Daniel Kvyat who is a very very different Daniel to two years ago if Gasly can't even remotely keep up with Daniel, I, I don't think Pierre is even going to be in the Toro Rosso next year. It's interesting you mentioned Ricardo because um, while we're waiting for you to take your sweet feckin' time sure. getting here, um, <laughs> uh, Luke and I, well, I, I posed the question to Luke, um, but I think both of you can answer this on the, on the podcast. So 2020, you know, they've got a lot of talent in the air. I think the Red Bull pool is sort of getting shallower and shallower with regards to new talent. Could, theoretically, Red Bull look somewhere else in 2020 and recruit somebody, I don't know, let's say Ricardo, because Ricardo's not having a good time at Renault. I can tell his demeanor's already worse than it was in 20... Uh, what year are we on? 2018, when he was... His last year with Red Bull. Uh, we'll start with... Thomas, you, you give us your take on that. What, what, what do you well, think? Um, I I know there's been a couple of rumours about um, Daniel Ricciardo possibly wanting to come back to Red Bull. I don't really see it happening, in fairness. I, I think mm. he's, he's made his bed. He's thinking about 2021. I think Red Bull have mentally kind of started thinking about other drivers and everything. Um, a, a possibility, however remote for next year, if Gasly doesn't work out, is Patricio Ward who they signed up there only a couple of weeks ago over the Austrian Grand Prix weekend. Um, They have him racing in Super Formula at the moment. They got rid of Dan Tictum and replaced him with Patricio Ward. They put him into a round there in Formula 2 in Austria, where I don't think he he was a complete embarrassment. Um, It might be a bit of a a jump to jump into a Formula 1 car, but we've seen in the past, Red Bull are not afraid to take risks like that. And the fact that Award has raced in IndyCar already, they might just go, right, fuck it, let's throw him in an F1 car into a Toro Rosso and see how we go. Okay. Luke, what's your mm-hmm. take on, on all of that? I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Gasly is probably going to be safe for a seat next season. I, Apart from Award, I don't think Red Bull have got anybody else on the books who are likely to be in the running to take a seat. Um, unless maybe one of the 
Honda-backed drivers in the lower formula has an absolute stellar second half of the season mm. to put them in contention. Um, but apart from that, I think, like you mentioned, Pat- Patricio Award, um, who's having a stint in IndyCar, I, I, I think it may just be a little bit too soon for him. But if, if there is a team to put a bit of a gamble together and, and risk putting a driver promoting them too soon, then it's, you know, Red Bull would be that team to take the chance, definitely. But but at the moment, I think Gasly would, would probably be safe in Toro Rosso. There, there is another possible candidate. He's been doing fairly well in Formula 3. What about Yuri Vips? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> he, he's been doing pretty well. Um, again, though, with him being in, in Formula 3, it probably is a little bit too much of a jump. Well, yeah, Verstappen um, made, a, made a leap from... Where, where was he? Formula Renault, was it? I can't... Yeah, uh, the, the formula, the old Formula Three, wasn't he? Oh, was he? Right, okay. The old F three, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and I think uh, Euro Vips has done well. I think he's got he's got at least one win this season, maybe even a couple more. And uh, but I, I think like like it's been said, I think he's maybe just a bit too soon. Soon, I think they'd probably favour putting him in Formula Two first. Mm. Yeah, and probably the same with Lucas Hour as well, because I know he he got a little bit of. Um, he got his knuckles wrapped <laughs> by uh, Helmut Marco as well after one of the rounds in Super Formula there a couple of weeks ago. So again, probably not quite ready to jump up to an F1 car. Um, I'd say it'll probably be the end of 2020 before, unless they spring another surprise and just find someone random out of nowhere. But right now, I think it'll either be Gasly and maybe, maybe award in the Toro Rosso next year if Gasly doesn't improve. Let's not forget they they kind of went back on their own system to a degree by bringing back not only Danny Kvyat but also Alex Albon who had oh. previously been dropped by yeah, the Red Bull true, yeah. Academy. So they're not against a left field choice, but they they still would rather them have at least a little bit of kind of Red Bull junior scheme, you they, know, in them. They just need to be sure of the guy in the second Red Bull. Mm. Mm-hmm. I um, I uh, did a bit of maths. It's not my strong point, but this is correct. It's easy maths. This um, Red Bull's with with Albon joining the team. Red Bull's uh, combined driver age is forty four, and I'm going to put that into perspective for you. Michael Schumacher retired from the second time in 2012. He was forty three, so that's like one man's experience in in one team. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> When you put it like that, okay. it's pretty crazy. <laughs> I just think I just I just thought it's not. I don't think it's the youngest driver pairing, but I just think like it's, uh, that's a random stat. Yeah, I'm, uh, well, I just thought I'd let it bounce, see if it come back up, but obviously it didn't. It landed, uh, it splattered on the floor. So no, I, I think you, I think you're doing what everybody else is doing. I think I've, if you scroll through Twitter, I think everybody's been trying to find the most obscure stat they can find about Albon and Verstappen. I think. I think someone was even. I, I, I'm not even. I'm not going to say examples in case I accidentally name someone, but there's some really obscure kind of facts out there. So, I, you know, fair place you for trying. Oh, thanks. I am trying my best. You know, that's all you, that's all you can do. So, I'm going to move away from Red Bull, uh, like uh, some drivers that we know. So, uh, the real meat and potatoes of this podcast and the one after will be dedicated to like a, a midterm report from each team. Who's flourished? Who's floundered? Who's king of the hill? Who's stick of the dump? 
Who uh, <laughs> what? Stig of the Dump. <laughs> Stig of the Dump. Come on, it's opposite <laughs> the King of the Hill. I have never heard that expression before, but okay, I'm willing to let it slide on this occasion. Thanks. Well, good job, because I've run out of similes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to be looking at five teams in each each podcast. So we'll we'll be doing a next one and one next week, or well, next time. I don't want to I don't want to give a quantity on the date. Um Okay. So uh, we're going uh, bottom up. <laughs> Sorry, I have a childish. I'm not going to dignify that with a with a response. So uh, we're going to start the bomb. I'm going to start the uh, Williams. Uh, they got one point also in twelve races. Their best result was a, a tenth from Kubica, and that was in Germany. So uh, let's start with Luke. Give us a bit on Williams. What's their season been like so far? Oh. God, uh, right. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I think, I think the good thing about the last race in Hungary was there's just now a little glimmer of hope for them being able to salvage a few more points out of the season. You had George Russell, who was on the cusp of getting into Q2, and he raced really well. I think he was beating the likes of uh, Lance Stroll, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi you know, getting in amongst the sort of lower end of the midfield battle. Mm. So whilst they have started pretty disastrously, I mean, they, they, um, what, what in testing, they turned up days late with, um, a car that was barely even finished <laughs> and they've just been locking out the back row ever since then up until Hungary. So I think it's going to be a season of two halves for them. And, I just hope that there's going to be a little bit of a little bit of experimentation going on, bringing in some new bits for the car that will probably help towards their 2020 car as well. And if they can get yeah, just get a few more pieces together, then that'll just save face a little bit, and and that's all they can really do. Okay, Thomas, can you can you give us a, a few thoughts on Williams? Because obviously, uh, Paddy Lowe was brought in, but he's been sacked this year. Yeah, Paddy's tenure at Williams was not a happy one from the start. Um, I the the thing is, you can't really say how responsible Paddy is for the the poor FW forty two. There's something off about the car. It it wasn't ready on time. You know, there's a lot of rumors about like how he designed parts that weren't ready to be manufactured even at the time of testing, and. You know, I, I I don't think the blame should be put solely at the door of Paddy Lowe. Williams are not a team that have been performing all that well over the last couple of years. I think losing um, Rob Smedley, I think, was a big loss as well to them. Um, but as Luke said, I think there are signs of improvement. They've been bringing constant updates. Uh, Claire Williams, in fairness to her, has managed to put on a brave face throughout the championship. And even though their performance on track has been pretty poor. They've been, you know, they've, they've been able to kind of hold their heads up in the paddock. There's there's a dignified um, acceptance of their position in, in the field at the moment. Um, obviously, Robert Kubica is underperforming compared to George Russell for whatever reason. There's plenty of rumours about that. But at the end of the day, Robert at the moment is the only one with a point. And <laughs> uh, yeah. Even if Robert uh, might lose that point as a result of the Alpha Romeo appeal next month, um, it, like Luke said, I think there is uh, potential there in the second half of the season for maybe Williams to score some points on merit, 
and you know maybe start kind of laying down, down the foundations for a much stronger 2020. It's definitely we definitely see Williams back at least in the midfield because you know a team with that heritage it's just it's just quite sad. It's never nice to see a team like more than a second off the back of everybody else. Yeah, and for especially to see a team like Williams in that position, it's it's not a good look. Okay, so um, I'm going to do this for each of the teams. So Luke, give me one word to sum up Williams' season so far. Reset. Oh, and Thomas, how about you? Crap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hass. We're going down that route, are we? <laughs> Hass. 26 points. Um, their best result was a, a sixth place for Magnussen in, uh, in Australia. Um, well, uh, we'll start with you, Thomas, first, because I think you've you've had a lot of experience of writing about Haas recently. With uh, I seem to have spent so much time writing about Haas, and <laughs> I think I've used every picture that Haas have supplied to the media <laughs> over the course of this championship at some point on the story. Um, so go on, tell, it's us, been um, tell us about Rich Energy Gate. No, no, well, tell what us I, about the no, no. Tell us about on track stuff. First. Let's start with the on track stuff. They've got a car that they can't figure out. They've got a card that I think is probably, along with McLaren and Alpha, probably right up there as being probably the fourth best car on track in terms of pace. However, for whatever reason, they can't figure out what the hell they're doing with it or how to get the tyres to work, to the extent where in recent races, they've literally been taking shots in the dark (laughs) by having one car fully updated and running the latest updates and then having the other car, Roman Grosjean, running the car as it was for the very first race five months ago. And at this point, it looks like the car from the start of the season is actually the better car. So it goes to show that basically Haas are stumbling around in the dark with this car. They don't have a clue how to unlock the pace of it. Basically, the drivers say that it's like driving in the wet all the time in race spec. In qualifying spec, it seems to be fine. And that explains why uh, Kevin Magnussen is, uh, you know, able to fire in performances like sixth place in Austria qualifying and, and stuff like that. But for some reason, in race spec, that VF19 is just a big pile of mystery <laughs> and they're not able to figure it out. And as a result, you know, it, their, their on-track performances have reflected that in the race where they're, they're falling down the order regardless of their starting positions, falling out of the points and usually languishing around 15th, 16th and sometimes even lower than that. Mm. Um, reliability has been okay in terms of that. The drivers, uh, Magnussen has been, I think, overall pretty okay. Roman Grosjean has uh, taken some flack for some incidents on track, um, some silly incidents. But that's Roman Grosjean. That's what you get with Roman. <laughs> and uh, I think Haas know that at this point. And um, it remains to be seen who or what they'll do in that situation for next year. Okay. Luke, you have the flaw on Haas. Well, I just think they're off track dramas have probably distracted from their on-track dramas because at the moment they are P9 in the Constructors' Championship and for a team that was battling for P4 last season, that's a that's a dramatic drop. That This is at risk of being a, a terrible season for Haas. Mm. And I think the whole rich energy saga might just make everyone forget about that a little bit, which is kind of odd because the rich energy saga is a pretty embarrassing one anyway so yeah as, as the season as the season goes it's 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 been pretty bad and they, they need to really 
figure out figure out the tires really that because that's the the stuff they've been really struggling with and maybe maybe it'll it'll get to a couple of a couple of circuits where the the tire wear isn't so great that they might be able to get back into those kind of points paying positions but I, I don't get me wrong I think they will finish ahead of racing point by the end of the season but much higher than that I'm not too sure to be honest it's interesting you mentioned that that the whole rich energy thing might have been distracting from for their for their with their on track stuff, but mm-hmm. I I don't know they, they used a different model, and I've always been saying that Williams should adopt their model of you know sort of buying it buying in house. Do you, do you think this model is sort of not helping them with with their current plight? I think in the space of about six months, they've probably shown the best and worst of it because when everything's going right you can be really close to the front three mm. and knocking on the door of some seriously major points if if everything supplied to you is working properly and you know doing great but if you don't have the technical expertise for what you're receiving then that's when things can get a little bit unknown and that's why they're having to go back to spec one pass from Australia in order to reset and try and understand why the direction that they've taken is not the right one. So I I think it's definitely a a contrast. And I think Williams could have done to have loosened up a little bit on their stance of, no, everything has to be Williams because we are Williams and we have heritage and all of that stuff. I think they should have loosened from that a little bit. But I I think Haas are really starting to prove the kind of pros and cons of that kind of case scenario at the moment. Okay. Anything more to add on Haas before we move on? I, I think Gunther Steiner has been very pro the approach they've taken as in being a, a very much a Ferrari customer and a Delara customer on the chassis front. And I, they haven't made any apologies for that. They say that, that that's their model. That's the way they want to go racing. And they say that anyone who kind of disagrees with them it's basically well tough you you had the you have the option of doing it mm. and mm-hmm. you, you know i i think they're right to take that approach that's the way they want to go racing and there's nothing wrong with that no no it puts more cars on the no, grid you know it's, it's supposed to be a 26 car grid and we've got 20 cars and it's 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 lucrative having that option there for other i i, I imagine uh major car manufacturers want to build their own chassis and build their own stuff but yeah but has have taken that model and they've done it very competently and it's only now in what their fourth year that we're actually seeing them kind of take a step back mm. and i don't think that that that's a, a problem with the actual car i think it's more a case of them understanding the car yeah. um the car itself i think is still a good one cool let's not forget much like red bull exists to sell cans of red bull has exists in order to sell uh, CNC machines and, and other big bits of tooling kits <laughs> and and they're not they don't have to be seen as an automotive brand really because that's not what they exist to do so they don't have to show off all this kind of engineering excellence that that other other companies do so so yeah, yeah I agree I think that I think they've um, perused the rule book very well and they're taking full advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we need to see more cars on the grid, and especially if if these 
these new teams can can jump into the midfield like Haas have done, it could only be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So, um, racing point. I'm going to move on to. They're eighth in the standings. With uh, you forgot something, Frank. <gasps> Uh, give us uh, give us one word. This is the only f up that I've uh, I've done in this podcast uh, so far. Um, so uh, Thomas, give me one word to sum up Hass's season. Confusion. And Luke. This is funny because that's exactly the word I was going to use. I can, <laughs> I can show you a screenshot of the words that I had pre-written before this, and confusion is there. Um, debacle. Oh, okay. It, in, in my haste, I went a bit dramatic, but I will <laughs> <You> stick <did>. with <laughs> that. Okay, right, cool. So we're actually moving on to racing point now. Um, eighth in the championship with 31 racing points. Um, their <laughs> best result was a uh, fourth place for Stroll in Germany, who looked like he was going to win the bugger at one point. Uh, <laughs> Luke, let's start with you on racing point. Um, I think it's been a relatively quiet season for them, um, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I think they've been the most anonymous team, really, this season. And they wouldn't have really had that much to write home about, apart from the, the, the fourth place in Germany. Mm. They, had a, a, they had a double points finish in Azerbaijan earlier in the year. And they, they really um, put a lot of their energy into these big updates that came a couple of races ago. But these don't really seem to have materialised into mega results, you know, aside from the Lance Stroll uh, tactical stroke of luck <laughs> event at Germany, but I think I think really for Racing Point, we'll never really know how much they were hampered by all the off-track dramas that were going on last season. But you've, you've got to expect that it that it hampered their preparations for this season at least a little bit. So I think I think here we've got a team who they're looking to reinvest into their own team you know they're looking to upgrade their facilities and they're probably going to start to look towards 2020 and maybe 2021 and just just look for a bit of stability between now and then really okay thomas what are your thoughts on racing point yeah i'd agree with pretty much all that i think the takeover by racing point um just around this time last year actually was before the belgian grand prix so um, they were they were actually in administration this time last year. So I think the position they're in right now is a lot better than what it was looking like this time last year. So <clears throat> they've maintained all their deals. They have a new title sponsor in Sport Pisa. They've got two drivers who they know they can lock down for a long time. And they went into this year kind of only starting to unlock um, the, the finances and open up the checkbooks again. Uh, to get the money flowing. They're looking at reinvesting into a new factory and expanding their factory. And um, yeah, as Luke said, I think this it's all about this year is just about getting through it, bringing on some updates, starting to think about 2020. And I think next year we'll see them kind of return to the performance levels, I think, that we would have expected from Force India. Because mm. we've got to remember that while a lot of the same people might be in place at the team, it's a new... Uh, it's a whole new identity for the team. It's a whole new finance. It's a whole new kind of uh, management structure and everything in place. So I think it takes time for all of that to gel together. So I, I would think in 2020, we'll, we'll be looking at them being very much back in the kind of upper midfield. Okay. Anything more to add, Luke? 
Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, could you sum up Racing Point season in one word for me? Hampered. <laughs> oh, I'm liking these. This is a good. This is good. How about you, Tom? <laughs> one word. Static. <laughs> these are just very unique. I like it. I like <laughs> it a lot. Okay, um, so we're going to move on to Alpha. Uh, Thomas, it was interesting um, earlier on that you mentioned that you think it's uh, it's it's up there with the fourth fastest car, but they're currently lying seventh in the championship with 32 points. The best result yep. was seventh for car number seven, Kimi Raikkonen, in Bahrain, France, and Hungary. Lucky seven, right? Lucky seven. And the thing about it as well is if Alpha had two Kimmies, <laughs> they would be, um, where would they be in the championship? They would be in fifth place at the moment. Wow. If they had two drivers of Kimmy's um, point scoring ability. Kimmy has been kind of one of the revelations of the season, I think. He has always been one of these drivers that seems to kind of fare better when he's kind of more in a kind of designated number one role. Mm. Um, I think I said that to you guys at the start of the season. I think Kimi is going to be one of the surprises of the year. And so far he has. That alpha, uh, like we've got to remember, it is a Sauber with more money now coming in from the FCA group. Um, But, you know, he's he's constantly, I'm just looking at his results here. With the exception of those middle three races in Spain, Monaco and Canada, where Alpha had very clearly fallen behind in terms of updates and upgrades, he has finished in points every race with the exception of um, the German result being under appeal. But he still finished seventh on that occasion as well. Mm. So that is nine points finishes out of the 12 races so far. And I was reading a stat during the week as well that he is the only driver on the grid to have returned his car after every session and has not damaged his car in any shape or form over the course of the season so far. He's the only one. (laughs) Now compare that to Giovinazzi, who only has one points finish in 10th place. And, you know, he he looks like he has speed. And he I think he very clearly does have speed. He's kind of figured out qualifying to a certain extent as well. But he lacks racecraft. And, right. uh, you know, I, in terms of sometimes starting on the wrong tyre, we've seen Kimi Raikkonen sometimes start on the wrong tyre and still somehow manage to, to bring home the result. Antonio just seems to go backwards. And, you know, his his average finishing position is 14th. And, you know, there's not a whole lot to write home about with Giovinazzi yet. No. Luke, tell me about Alpha this season. (laughs) Just in general? Just talk about Alpha. (laughs) Just talk about it. (laughs) Love them. Love the cars. (laughs) Um, No, I'd I'd agree with the points about Giovinazzi. Just something hasn't really worked out yet in the races. He's he's Like you say, he's getting to terms with Raikkonen in qualifying trim but it's just not quite converted into consistent race pace. And whilst I think he's he's definitely shown some speed, he's at the moment he's been the least impressive of the rookies that have come into Formula One. Mm. Even if you you know, even if you do I guess he is still a rookie because he's only had two races before. But um yeah, he was he was really impressive in, in his only season in GP two. He uh, came into the championship and was quick pretty much straight away and was challenging for the for the championship. So we we know he has this great speed, but it's it's just not quite worked out for him. I I don't think he's really at risk. I don't think they have anything to gain by dropping him for next season. I think he's I think he's still got 
scope to improve over the course of the rest of the year. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll concede. I expected it to be closer between Raikkonen and Giovinazzi, and and I hope it gets a, a bit closer because the Alpha looks like it's a, a pretty reasonable car and probably deserves to be above, maybe above Renault and Toro Rosso this year. So, so yeah, I think for the sake of Alpha, I hope they they get things together. I've actually done a slight miscalculation there. If he if Kimi has the P7 returned to him from the German result and then you replaced Giovinazzi with Kimi's results, you would roughly have a car that is right up there with McLaren in terms of points, in terms of P4. Holy cow. If they had two Kimis in the car, they would be up there with McLaren. Oh, but Thomas, they broke the mould when they made Raikkonen. Sorry, yeah. I don't know why but I won't finish as well saying his name, Raikkonen. But it, it, it's the same as the Red Bull situation. It's one driver is bringing down the overall yeah. average of what the team is, is capable of. Like, in fairness, Red Bull probably should be P2 and Alpha probably should be probably P5 at this stage in the championship. Mm-hmm. And they're not. And that's down to the underperformance of the second driver. Okay. Anything more to add on Alpha before we move on? Uh, just I'm in general surprised by how good they've been overall and how how competent and quick and nimble that uh, C38 is. Well, give me one word. To, to define Alpha, to define season, Alpha's year. thus far. Kimmy. <laughs> and Luke? Raikkonen. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I promise you now that was written down. Okay. <laughs> You're doing it. Uh, it's marvellous. Um, Do you know one, one thing before we move on from Alpha? You know the way Kimmy is, there's this whole rumour or joke in the paddock that if Kimmy, it, it, basically Kimmy is regarded as being three-tenths off the ultimate pace in Formula One now. Right. Does that mean that basically there's, a, that Alpha could be up there racing for sixth? I don't know. Along with the Red Bulls? It's hard to it's it's really hard to sort of because there's other factors, isn't there, involved? If you were to put Vettel in alongside Raikkonen in that alpha, would Vettel suddenly all of a sudden be able to challenge for P six? Because we know Vettel was on average around 0.3 seconds quicker than Kimmy over their Ferrari years. Maybe yep. with Gasly in the second red bull. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we're moving on from Alpha. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's something to think about. Listeners, if you can think of anything, give us a tweet at Formula Spy. So um, Renault uh, are sixth, and they're sort of upper half of the bottom half. Yeah. So we've got uh, they've got 39 <laughs> points. The best result was Ricardo in Canada. That was actually their best team result as well. Uh, d- disappointing, I would say, for Renault. Um, perfectly honest, they had they had lofty ambitions of probably challenging for titles by now. Ricardo moved because he thought they would be a good factory team to to drive for, but they're being beaten by their customer team, McLaren. So, uh, Luke, what's going on with Renault? Oh, I haven't got a clue. It's they they just not haven't got the package together. It's it's not been very reliable on the power unit side in the first few races they had a bit of a, a, a couple of races where they were sorting all that nonsense out and um, but apart from that they just 
they're just not quick. Um, it's you know we you mentioned the team performance in Canada where they got sixth and seventh, and they were they did look like they were knocking on the door of challenging Red Bull in that race, and people were maybe thinking, oh yeah, this is where Renault kick on now and start making that claim to be the midfield team that finally starts challenging the top three, but it just hasn't happened for them, and and they're just in limbo. The drivers aren't particularly pleased why would they be and I, you know I'm not, I'm not so sure that they've got that much to really gain from concentrating on this season I think McLaren are out of sight they, I think they would eventually pick off Toro Rosso for fifth place they're only about four points behind them but at the moment I, I, I think they're really just best focusing on next year because as a team they've got higher ambitions than just Pipping another team to P4 or P5 in the Constructors' Championship. Thomas? Yeah, not much more to add. The reliability hasn't been all that fantastic. Um, Nico Hulkenberg has been... I, I don't think Nico has been completely outclassed by Daniel Ricciardo in any shape or form. Um, I think they've been roughly around the same performance level. But reliability hasn't been great. Pace hasn't been great. Um, the chassis very clearly obviously isn't as good as the McLaren because the McLaren are kicking their ass basically on track most of the time. Um, Germany is going to stick around like a bad smell for Nico Hülkenberg, I think, for quite a while after throwing away that what looked like it could have eventually ended up in a podium position and probably by rights should have been a podium position. Um, Renault just look a bit directionless at the moment. Um, and the thing is, I know they keep talking about 2021 and the regulation changes and everything like that. But that's still 18 months away. Is is there another 18 months of watching, uh, you know, what is a very well-funded factory team just kind of flounder around in the midfield until, uh, you know, a, a regulation change that might not be the life, the lifesaver that they think it is. Yeah. Um, I was- yeah, it's... It's it's a it's an odd one. Renault are, are a bit confusing at the moment. Yeah, I was just going to proffer a sort of a suggestion that they might be waiting until twenty twenty one, but it's a long time to wait because you go into the season and a half in between that. So what do you do? It's two years out of Daniel Ricciardo's prime of, of his career, basically waiting for something that might not turn out to be all that great when it comes around. Yeah, Luke, what what do you think on that front? Well, I think Daniel Ricciardo's not looking very happy at the moment. I, I agree, it's a long time for him to wait, but would he really have any other choice? You know, the top three teams don't really look like being reined in that quickly. So he may just have to accept that he's made his bed and he's going to have to lie in it. It's, yeah. it's a shame, but I think that's just how it's going to have to be. Okay. One word to sum up Renault, Luke? Faltering. No. And Thomas? Floundering. <laughs> oh. God, these, have we all just swallowed <laughs> dictionaries? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, that concludes this episode. Um, we didn't have time to talk about Pirelli Summer Barbecue or Alexander Albon's alcoholic k- Kickstarter, Al Bourbon. Yes. 
However, <laughs> um, <laughs> you can read all the latest F1 news at formulaspy.com. If you want to get in touch with us, you can on Facebook, form, uh, facebook.com slash formulaspy. You can do it on Twitter on at Formula Spy, and you can uh, give us a follow on Instagram. Just search for Formula Spy. And here's the least fun part of the outro. You can follow each of us. You can follow uh, Thomas on Twitter. You can follow Thomas Marr on uh, at Thomas Marr on F1. You can follow Luke on at Lucas Murph with a PH and myself on at Frank Parker F1. So thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Say bye, Luke. Oh, bye-bye. <laughs> the Formula Spy Podcast. Music by Building Giants. Check them out on Spotify. <laughs>